The Bible reading is taken from Philippians chapter 4. That can be found on page 1180 on the Church Bibles. That's page 1180 in the the Bibles in the Church. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. See you. Good morning. It's very nice to see you. Don't you like this brand new spanking lectern? The average life expectancy of a lectern here is seven years. Because I generally whack it like that and it splinters. But try and do better. Okay, let's pray together that God would speak to each of us today about how to get rid of worry. Anyone ever been worried? One of the loveliest things I've ever heard in conversation was a five-year-old child turn to her father and say, Daddy, what does worry mean? And I thought, the longer you don't need to know, the better. And wouldn't it be great if God so spoke to us that in five years' time, you could turn to a friend and say, tell me, I've forgotten, what's worry like? Hmm, let's pray for that. Father God, we thank you that you promise us peace. And we pray that through the scriptures you would reveal to us how to eliminate worry and enjoy peace. Please come and help me and help all of us to draw close to you. Give us understanding and give us to experience your peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago now, I was invited to supper by my vicar. It was rather an impromptu uh, invitation. There was going to be a meeting in the church a bit later on, which I was going to go to. 
And I can't remember, but I think we might have bumped into each other in the street. And he said, oh, well, why don't you come and join us for supper before? So I did that. We had a very nice little informal supper. And the speaker who was going to be speaking at the evening meeting was there at the dinner table. His, his name was Bill Burnett. And he'd recently retired from being the Bishop of Cape Town. And for some reason, I can't remember now, I had to leave dinner early. And so I made my excuses. And as I was about to leave the room, the bishop said, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And back in those days, I knew even less about the words and ways of the Anglican church than I do now. But there was this pause after he said that. The peace of the Lord be always with you. And then the pause got rather uncomfortable and a bit more uncomfortable. I, I kind of felt this pressure to say something. So I said, okay. <laughs> and off I went. And now, you know, some years later, after intensive theological training, I can tell you the right response is, and also with you, exactly, exactly, and also with you. It was actually very reassuring later when I went to that meeting that the bishop began with a true story. He said that when he was back at home in his cathedral in Cape Town, he was leading a service one day and they'd done all whatever they do, process in, and then they'd had a hymn, and, and then he, he started to lead the service. But to his annoyance, the jolly old stuff wasn't working and he, no one could hear what was going so he did what we all do in those situations and he he kind of started tampering with the electronics and it the loudspeaker system sprung back into life just as he said there's something wrong with this mic and immediately the congregation responded and also with you <laughs> <laughs> which is all to say which is all by way of saying we don't always know what to do with the peace of the lord good introduction don't you think we don't always know what to do with the peace of the Lord. But we've been discovering in journeying through Philippians that there is a theme from every single chapter. And the theme is Paul really wants the Philippians to be able to rejoice, to be able to know the joy of the Lord. And I can think of nothing that saps our ability to know joy in our life or to rejoice in the Lord Nothing does it better than anxiety or worry. Very difficult to praise God if you don't know his peace. Very difficult to really say you're full of joy. And the focus of what I've got to say is what the focus of the chapter is, is how to get your hands on the peace of God and how to dwell in it, how to enjoy it. I've spoken about the other topics in this chapter at earlier sermons, so I'm setting myself free from talking about the unity that he talks about. That's there in the early part of the chapter. I'm just going to focus on this peace element. Now, it should come as no surprise that peace accompanies following Christ. Because this isn't just a Pauline idea. It's very much part of the good news that we know and inhabit. Do you remember Christmas? Of course, you remember that one of the things that the angels said was glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom God's favor rests. And Jesus himself promised peace. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. 
elsewhere in John's Gospel. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And what I love about that is it's so realistic. In Jesus' head, peace doesn't come when everything in your life is lined up perfectly just as you want it to be. And it's, it's one of red-letter day when everything's honky-dory. It, that is not how Jesus describes our life on earth. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But at the very same time you have trouble, you will experience my peace. I find that really helpful to have that in the back of my mind anyway. Not to expect a glorious chapter when everything goes in Rupert's direction. It's going to be much more like the train of our life is on two tracks all the time. Trouble on one side and the peace and blessing of God on the other. That's reality. And I want to notice with you in verse 7 of our reading that this peace we're promised is peculiar. It, it defies our understanding. In a sense, it's a peace we've got absolutely no right to experience. It, it's a peace which our, our friends and our, our neighbors might look at us and say, I just didn't understand how he or she lives so much at peace, evidently, when they're going through this, that, or the other. It's beyond reason. It's beyond understanding. It's a peace which, left to your own devices, you wouldn't have. And I want to make it clear that this peace isn't by your own efforts only. This is not a kind of new agey peace. It's not a kind of look inside and you'll find it, because you won't. This is a God-given peace. Now, wouldn't it be great to have this? Don't you think it'd be remarkable to have this? Wouldn't it be good news for everyone who stresses out in the day and in the night and can't worry for lack of sleep? What a revolution for all those who need to have noise because tranquility drives them to distraction. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great um, physician and uh, a preacher in former times, wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. It's a book that if you don't own, I seriously suggest you should get a copy. The only thing wrong with this book is the title. It's a terrible title, Spiritual Depression. If it was re-entitled How to Enjoy the Christian Life, which would be just as accurate, um, we'd all want a copy. Uh, you could get it for one pence on Amazon, used copy. And he's got a sermon on this passage. And he says, he, he's quite punchy about it. He says, the big challenge for a Christian and for a God follower in the Old Testament was how to overcome the tyranny of circumstance. How can we be so close to God? How can we appropriate peace when things are going against us? And that's really what this chapter is about. And we're going to look at it as a peace formula, Paul's peace formula. And the first thing to do is to remember something. And here's what you need to remember. Here's what I need to remember. It's in chapter 4, verse 5. And we're going to learn this bit of a verse together because it's so easy. The Lord is near. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. I love it when verses are like that. You know, references 4, 5. We can generally remember that. Philippians 
4 verse 5. So should we say that together? The Lord is near, Philippians 4 verse 5. Well, I said that together. Can you say it with me? The Lord is near, Philippians 4 verse 5. <clears throat> it's so simple, but it's foundational to peace. Because the enemy's scare tactic goes like this. The enemy will put it into your head, you're on your own now. Nobody cares about you. Nobody can help you. Well, perhaps some people can help you, but they won't help you. You've got to go it alone. And that is absolute rubbish. The Lord is near. You might know the story, which I'm sure isn't true, of a man on a desert island who stumbles into a cave and he finds some writing on a wall. And he reads it, and when he first reads it, he thinks it says, the Lord is nowhere. But on his good days, he reads it and he thinks it says, the Lord is now here. Ha, 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 clever. <laughs> well, make it a good day. Make it a good day. The Lord is near. And we need to remember that as we step towards peace. And although it's a simple truth to share, it makes a profound difference. We all know, I bet we all know the experience of knowing the safety of being near someone that you trust. I can think of times when I've traveled abroad particularly and I've been on my own. And just because I've been on my own, there were places I didn't want to go. And I can remember thinking at the time, if I just had a friend with me, then I would walk down that street. Then I wouldn't feel intimidated by that crowd or whatever it was. And if we know that just in our ordinary day-to-day -day life, and we do, if you watch a child, it's lovely to see a child draw close to their parents because they feel safe. They just know if mum is here, dad is here, it's all going to be okay. So we ought to feel like that, knowing that God is close to us. And this verse tells us, yes, he is. The Lord is near. And this form of reassurance is right through the scriptures, isn't it? It's one of God's strongest promises to us. Genesis chapter 26. That night the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Or in Isaiah 41, Don't fear, for I am with you. Or Jeremiah 46, Don't fear, for I am with you. Or Matthew 28, Jesus to his disciples, Surely I'm with you to the end of the age. You know, preparing these talks week by week, I do an enormous amount of research. And computer-assisted research, and I've scoured the scriptures, and you can too, and you will never find a verse that says, and God said, you're on your own now. It's just not on his heart to say that to us. The theme tune of a Christian is, you'll never walk alone. And that's so powerful in our search for peace, when you think about the character of the God who walks alongside us. Because he cares for you. You'll never find a verse in scripture that says God doesn't care for you. You'll never find an action in Jesus that indicates he doesn't care for you. Which is why Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
So we put these two things together, and already it's becoming helpful because there's no situation in which the Lord Jesus cannot be with me, and there's no situation in which he won't care for me. He'll always be with me, and he'll always care. When I first wrote this talk, at this point I had an illustration that dealt with the biggest thing that can come upon us in life, which is death. And the thought in my head was, if I can persuade the congregation of HT that God can deal with death, which is the biggest thing, then it should be easy to trust him with the lighter things. Now, friends, you can trust him with death. I'm not going to say you can't. Of course you can. We have lots of promises about that. And Paul goes out on a limb to say, well, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing in life and nothing in death. But, you know, I think sometimes we find it easy to trust God for that huge thing. But we forget he's also able to look after the tiny things too. And the sad thing is that we get stressed out about the tiny things. And since I'm talking about how to enjoy God's peace, I want to tell you, you can trust God with the small as well as the big. Don't be embarrassed about that. So the Lord is near is the first point, but the second point is very, very challenging. This is something we're not to do. Don't be anxious about anything. Verse 6. Don't worry or don't be anxious about anything. Now, let's be really brutal with ourselves. And look at this verse, stare at every single word in it. So what are we allowed to worry about? Nothing. Don't worry, don't be anxious about anything, says Paul. Now, I wriggle and protest when I read that. Part of me wants to say, don't be ridiculous, Paul. You need to get out more. Don't you know what there is to be worried about in this life? Goodness. And the thing is, Paul does know. <laughs> That's the thing. He, he's not talking about peace that comes like an ostrich that buries its head in the sand and pretends that all is right with the world. Because Paul has been imprisoned, he's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, he's been stoned, he's been homeless. In fact, he, right to the Philippians, he probably remembers all too well what's recorded in Acts. He was beaten with rods. He was, he was imprisoned. So how can he say? Well, he can say because he's been in challenging situations. And it's such a spur to really take hold of this verse to remember that Jesus taught exactly the same. Jesus commanded the disciples, don't worry about anything in Matthew chapter 6. And he actually gives them some reasons. He says, don't worry because worrying's futile. Which of you by worrying can add a day to your life? And you can't. You can shorten your life because you can worry yourself sick, but that's not generally why we try and worry. But Jesus says, don't worry because it's futile. Or secondly, and I think this touches his heart more, really. Don't worry because in worrying, you're declaring your lack of trust in God. How can it be that you can begin a prayer, our loving God and Heavenly Father, and then follow it up with, I don't believe you're powerful enough to help me in this situation. Or I don't believe you're good enough.
to help me in this situation. So we're told, do not be anxious about anything. Now, Paul's a great teacher, and Jesus is a great teacher, and they would never just tell us something like, don't worry, full stop, period, end. Like Captain Mannering, don't panic, end. Because that doesn't help anyone. You've got to put something in the place of worry. And that moves us to step number three of a peace formula. Put worry in its place, and the place you put it is in the hands of God. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. Verse six, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And as I've said, it requires openness about the big things and the small things. Nothing, nothing is too small to share with God if it's worrying you. It may be worries about the past, maybe worries about the present, maybe worries about the future. You know, things like I'm worried I might never find a job. I'm worried I might never find a house. I'm worried I might never find a husband or a wife. I'm worried this sermon might never end. You, you just, <laughs> but what Jesus is saying as you think about the future is, he, he says, limit your worries to one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. You've got enough on your plate to think about today. Let's just deal with today. And if you are worried about a situation, then what you need to do is to turn those worries over to God the Father and the Son. And say, Lord, I want to share my heart with you. We'll come to that in just about a minute. But there is nothing that if you're concerned about it, God is not concerned about it too. I think I used, this is a totally ridiculous anxiety for me to have, but I, I think I used to feel some things were just too small to bother God about. And so I used to live in London, and I remember thinking a kind of theologian's dilemma. Is it right to pray for a parking space or not? I and mean, what a stupid thing to have anxiety about. But, and I think my thinking went like this. You know, God's got wars on his plate. He's got um, international concerns. Really, Rupert, you shouldn't trouble him with a parking space problem. But that is to underestimate God's power because he's not like Rupert in many respects, but one of them is, you know, some of us might be challenged to think and chew gum at the same time. God can think and chew gum at the same time. He, he's all powerful. He can rule the nations and he can deal with parking spaces if he wants to. There, you're not going to exhaust God by your prayer requests. You're not going to be the one prayer request too many. And he says, I can't handle it. Sorry, my plate's already full. He, he can receive from all of us what's really going on in our heart. So I cannot think of a good reason why we should not be sharing with him everything, the mega things and the trivial things, because sometimes the trivial things can be tripping you up. Now, God may not, it's up to him how he answers it. He may not answer it in exactly how you want it to be answered. So, you know, trivial example, if you were praying that God would give you a Rolls Royce so that you could go to this, that, or the other event, he might not. He might provide you with the bus fare. He might provide you with a lift. He might remind you that you could walk. <laughs> but, but the thing is, God will step in. He will step in one way or another. It might be by telling you you don't need to go to the event and give you peace about that, but he will. This, this is not self-help 
alone. This is, this is relying on God. Philippians 4, verse 19, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. After all, isn't that why he tells us to pray, give us today our daily bread? He, he will take any kind of prayer from us. But it, it is God's help. Now, we're told by Paul that we should let God know what our requests are by prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. And I'm not absolutely sure what the distinction is between prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. And of course, I've read lots about it, but I'm still not sure what the distinction is. But I think what Paul is saying is something like this. When you rush into God's presence, don't just come at him with your hit list of requests. For all sorts of reasons, don't do that. But even on a human scale, you know, I can remember sometimes at home growing up that when my father got back in from work, it was so tempting to ask him, Daddy, can you and come out with a request? And I remember my mother trying to say, look, give him a chance to take his coat off, ask him if he's had a nice day, you know, just, and then at the right time, ask this. And I think it's, it's good practice to, to get into practice talking with God, just generally, before you're in a fix. Now, he, because he, he's gracious, will hear you if the first time you pray is God help. But I noticed that Jesus prayed in his life, throughout his life. The first time he prayed in the scriptures was not the time when he prayed, now is my heart troubled. That comes later in his life. And we know that he's, if you like, habitually talking to God. So I'm just glad to be able to say to you today, you know, if you're trying to learn how to pray, why not come to one of these prayer meetings this week? And if you can only come to one, come on Wednesday night when we have a, a guest, Jeremy Jennings, coming to lead us in a prayer evening. And I know I'm coming to pray, but I'm coming to learn about prayer because Jeremy's excellent at leading large meetings of prayer. So the first thing is, whether life's challenging for you today or just easy, get into the habit of being in conversation with God. And there are always some things that I can thank God for, regardless of the challenges on my plate. And I think this is what Paul is saying when he says, with prayer, and then goes on to petition and thanksgiving. I can always thank God, for example, for his mercy on Rupert, for his kindness to me, that he reached out and found me when I really wasn't looking for him, that he forgave me so much, that he loves me so much, that he's filled me with his spirit, that he died for me. Every, every day, all of that is true, and so much more about God is true. And as I think about these things, as you think about these things in the presence of the Lord, the tyranny of circumstance begins to loosen its grip as we remind ourselves of the loving kindness of God and his goodness. And having, as it were, walked down that corridor, the next one is probably petition. And at this point, we do share our hearts. We just say to him, Lord, you need to know that I'm concerned about this. I am anxious about this. I'm worried about this situation. And sometimes we have to take ourselves under control at this point. Because sometimes worry is faith in what you don't want to happen. I'll give you an example. When Jesus was asleep 
in the boat with the disciples and a storm came up. Do you remember? And Jesus had told them, let's go over to the other side. And they wake Jesus up and they say, don't you care if we perish? And he stills the wind and the waves. And then he says, where is your faith? Well, at that precise moment, their faith was in drowning. They were believing that is the future. And it's like Jesus saying, look, trust in me. Don't start, don't start investing your faith in what you don't want to happen. Or I think of uh, the same thing exactly happens to Peter walking on the water. With her, when he saw the wind and the waves, he began to doubt and began to sink. Invest your faith in what God wants to happen. And the thing is, what I guess I'm saying here is peace comes not with trying harder, but by drawing closer, drawing closer to God. Remember, he is our loving Heavenly Father, that he is good. He's not capable of having an unkind or an evil thought. But maybe what gives you anxiety, and this is perfectly understandable, and what causes you worry is you see the future opening out for you. You see the path that you're committed to going down or the circumstance which you wish had never happened. And clearly God's allowed it to happen. And really you just worry. You haven't got the strength or the wherewithal to walk down this path which you would never have chosen. In which case what we need to do is just turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your reassurance. I need your peace. I need your strength as I embrace this way forward. I find that there's great blessing to me, great help to me, meeting people who have walked with God over the long haul and who have learned to trust God like this. And I see it actually in the scriptures as well. I see it in Genesis chapter 24, for example, I was reading recently, when Abraham, he's an old man, and he's concerned for his son Isaac, and he wants his son to have a wife. And he dispatches his servant, and he sends his servant on his way. And when the servant's asked, how is it you've pitched up here? He says this. He says that Abraham told me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and make your journey a success. And I love it when I meet people who are now so confident they trust God for something I might have found challenging. I think Mary is like this mother of Jesus at the wedding of Cana when she just says, do whatever he tells you. And I like to think that each of us are on a path here, a lifetime of learning, where we increasingly trust God, increasingly trust him, and have peace in all sorts of situations because God has shown us, he has shown us his goodness. And that peace of God that passes all understanding will fill your heart and mind. And let's lean into verse 7 and see exactly what that means. When he says the peace of Christ will guard your heart and mind, it means it will do sentry duty around your heart. You know, like in front of Buckingham Palace, there are guards from walking up and down, protecting the entrance of the palace. And God says he will so make sure that you have peace, your heart need never be disturbed. Well, what a wonderful, what a wonderful promise. And I would say to help bring this to reality, you, you and I can ask ourselves two things. Where is your focus? Where is your focus as you face this trial? If you're worrying, what you're doing is meditating on the wrong thing. Worry is a meditation 
bigging up, enlarging the challenges instead of magnifying God. But secondly, not just where is your focus, where are your friends? Because I believe that God asks us to nut this kind of stuff out, not on our own, but with others. Because it's just part of experience. Sometimes it can almost be overwhelming to face some challenges. And I don't believe God's plan for us is that we have to just walk through it on our own. He's given us a community. He's given us a fellowship. He's given us a church of fellow believers. And there will be times in your life, as there have been times in mine, and probably will again, when people had to come alongside me and just say, Rupert, we'll pray for you in this. We'll believe for you in this. And we'll, we'll get through this together. That's very often uh, what small groups are able to do for one another. It's a very good reason for being in a small group. I wasn't sure this illustration will work, but if you've ever watched the trooping of the color, it's when the guardsmen all appear on horse guards parade. And often on a hot day, and they're wearing heavy uni uniform and a heavy busby on their head. And just from time to time, you'll see one of them collapse, bang, like that. Well, they're not meant to do that. Surprise, surprise. And I was talking to a guardsman recently and asking him, have you ever been in the Trooping of Colour? Have you ever had one of your friends do this? And he said, well, what actually happens is you're standing there to attention and it gets hotter and hotter. But if you see the person to your left or your right about to fall over, what the whole guardsman can do for at least a while is say, draw close, and you sort of sandwich them upright. You can even march them a few paces with, with you just keeping them ahead. And that's what it's like in the family of God. You know, we, we just don't have to collapse. We can help one another. And when you do that, all these things have taught the Lord is at hand, and you share with him what's going on, and you draw close to him. God will give you his peace. And just one final thought as, um, as I close. It's moving on to the next paragraph. Filter your thoughts. Be careful what you let in. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I think the antidote to a lot of the corrosive thoughts that we have which undermine our peace and destroy our peace is to learn where the off button is to your television or whatever it is. Think about what you're letting into your mind. Think about it. If you pollute what's in your mind, you're never going to find peace. It will undermine you. Garbage in, garbage out. It's true. Be careful. And I was thinking about this and thinking, you know, the test really isn't, the test isn't, be careful, the vicar's looking. If it's not good enough for the vicar, it's not good enough for you. That's, that's not it. The test is what we're reading, what we're watching, what we're looking at, is it destroying our ability to find peace when we need it? Will it undermine us? Will it draw us away from the presence of God? Because if I'm ashamed of what I'm watching, if I'm ashamed of what I'm reading, if I'm ashamed of what I'm letting into my heart, it's going to be very difficult to turn to God and ask for his peace. 
But there we are. I've set before you the peace formula of God. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Let the peace of God come. Now what we're going to do is I'm going to pray for us and then I've asked the worship band if they would sing a song over us, really, for us to enjoy and marinate in, to let God come and bring his peace to us. Let me pray, and then we'll enjoy this together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're concerned for us as your children. Your gift to us is your peace, a peace that transcends understanding. Lord, your Holy Spirit searches our hearts and minds and knows the very things that we've been anxious about. And we pray together that we'd press closer to you now and let you draw near to us. Lord, you know the secrets of our hearts, so it's futile for us to be dishonest with you. Help us to share what's on our heart and come and remind us, Lord, that you're with us. Come and remind us that you can be trusted. Come and remind us that your plans for us and those who we love are good plans. Come and give us your peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.